You're listening to audio from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. To find more resources and learn more about our ministry, please visit holycrosstucson.com. We wrap up the Gospel of John today. It's been about a year, just under a year, and we're reading, I think this is just the perfect way to end, ending with Jesus' prayer for us, for his kingdom, uh, in John 17. And this is the longest prayer recorded uh, in the scriptures from Jesus. We're going to read it, and it doesn't take long to read, and I, I hope that you'll receive it just with an open heart and know that these aren't just words on a page, but Jesus prays for you. He prays for us. He prays that, that, that God would complete the things that he started in you, and that is tremendous. What a blessing. And so receive this, his prayer as, as we uh, read through it together. John chapter 17. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to the heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of this world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know everything that you've given me is from you, for I've given them the words that you gave me, and they've received them, and have come to know in the truth that I came from you, and they believe that you sent me. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you've given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I'm glorified in them. And I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you've given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I, I kept them in your name, which, they have given, which you have given me. I've guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves." I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I send them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you've sent me. The glory that you've given me, I've given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved me, even as you loved them. 
Father, I desire that they also whom you've given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you've given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I'll continue to make it known that the love with which you've loved me may be in them and I in them. This is God's word. This is a, a really good time for Jesus to pray. This is a good time for him to pray because he is approaching the greatest test of his life, the greatest test and the climax of his mission on earth, the very purpose for which he was born and came into the world, the cross. It is the reason why he was born, to go to the cross, to pay the penalty for sin, to be a substitute. The judgment that would fall on us fell on him. It's all coming to a head now, and he knows it, and he knows that the hour has come. And as he comes to this hour of his death and the greatest test of his life, he is not moved to fatalism or despair, as if to say, I guess this is it. Let's just get on with it. Let's get over. Let's get it over with. It is, instead, he, 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 he casts his eyes to the heavens and he prays. He talks to his father exactly about what he is feeling and what he desires. He is bringing the, the most core desires of his heart to his father in prayer. It's the longest prayer of Jesus recorded and, and it's an all-important prayer. It's an all-important prayer for him. And in this moment, when you're at that moment of knowing this is why I was born, and it's the greatest moment of my entire life, top of mind, top of heart is going to be the things that are most central to you, the things that are most important to you. And he brings that all to his father and he pours them out in prayer. It's all important for him, but it's all important to us as well. It's here we learn about like, what does he care about? for us? What does he care about for the world? They're not just prayers, they're promises. They're promises because when Jesus prays, those prayers come true. When Jesus tells us that when we pray in his name, the Father will give those things to us. And Jesus says that everything he says, it is because he says those things because he hears those things from the Father. He is so in sync, he is so in commune with his Father that not a single word does he pray that is out of accord with the character, nature, promises, plan of God? So these are not just prayers, it's promises. These things will come true that he prays for. It's a great way for us to finish this year-long series through the Gospel of John. We can summarize what we find in this prayer in this way. Jesus is the hero. Our life has purpose and love transforms. Let's walk through this summary together. Jesus is the hero. He starts off this prayer in this way. He, he says, glorify the Son so that the Son may glorify you. This is a, this is a, a good place for Jesus to start praying, and, and here's why. Because if you've been on an airplane, you've heard the spiel. In the unlikely event of uh, drop-in cabin pressure, you know, put the mask on yourself, and if you have young ones traveling with you, and then put the mask on them. Why? Because it doesn't matter 
how much you love your children, if you can't breathe, it's of no use to them. And this is like, this is like why is Jesus, is this like egocentric? Is it selfish? Like, how often do you, you know, you pray like, hey, glorify me, glorify me. What is Jesus doing here? He knows this is the right place to start. Because if he is not glorified, if he does not succeed in his task, then nothing matters. We lose. If Jesus loses, we lose. He prays for his glory to be restored because it is from his glory that you and I get everything that God has promised to us. He must succeed. He must win. He must be glorified. His task must be complete. And what is his task that he came to do? Well, he tells us in verse two, to give eternal life to all whom the God the Father has given to him. Here is Jesus' task. I will not lose a single soul that you've given to me. And Jesus tells us so many times throughout the Gospel of John, everyone whom the, the Father has sent to me comes to me. No one can come to, the come to me unless the Father draws him. And so Jesus knows that if any have come him. It's because God the Father has enabled them in their hearts and in their minds and in their conscience to be drawn to Jesus. And now Jesus has a people that he is going to redeem and die for. And he says, I will not lose a single one that you've given to me. I must succeed. I must finish this race. And it's all coming to the head at the cross. This plan of salvation was set in place, a plan which required the God the God the Son to become flesh. It was a plan where the God the Son would be humbled to the point of, of death, dwelling in, 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 on earth, leaving a place of glory, leaving a place of, of, of uh, perfect peace with the Father, the glory of heaven. God the Son would have to live a perfectly obedient life, accomplishing the work that was given to him perfectly. Where we have failed, he had not failed. He, he had to succeed. God the Son would take the place of sinners on the cross, and this plan, of, this plan of, of salvation required this great substitution. Jesus had glory. He had to empty himself of glory and take on human nature. That was a great reversal. And now he's saying, God, be faithful to bring me back into glory. He would empty himself, take the place of sinners so that empty sinners would have the glory of God. Don't you see this? This was the plan that Jesus would empty himself of glory and take on our sin so that, our, so that in our sin, we would be forgiven and take on his glory. And Jesus is pray, praying that he would be restored to that place of glory. He gives us a glimpse of, this, of what existence looked like before anything was created. He was immersed, Jesus was immersed in the glory of his Father. Glory is a difficult word to describe and define, isn't it? It's kind of like, how do you define beauty? How do you define love? How do you define honor? These are hard words. What is glory? It's, it's a characteristic of God, but it's also a manifestation of God and his wonderful presence. Here's what glory is. Glory is beauty. Glory is delight, enjoyment, greatness, power, pleasure, 
respect, love, affection, honor. Jesus had all of this. He existed in this. He did not know an existence that was separated from this wonderful existence. He said, I had all of this with you and I gave it all up for them. I gave it all up for them. And now he's asking the father to be faithful, to restore him to that place. He's asking God in faith to be faithful to his promise to reward him for his perfect obedience. And then something amazing happens what he prays for. He then says, and not only will I be brought back into that, but bring everyone who I have died for into that same existence. Beauty, delight, enjoyment, greatness, power, pleasure, respect, love, affection, honor. He is immersed in glory and he is saying, now bring them into that same existence with me. We enter into this promise as well through faith in Jesus. In verse three, this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. You see, this this is eternal life. What is eternal life? Is it maybe you had a picture on the wall in your home growing up of just clouds, you know, parting and just light beaming down, and that was eternal life, right? Somewhere up in the clouds. Some kind of like ethereal existence, some kind of disconnected, disembodied, Uh, existence in just peace. Well, it's definitely not less than that, but it's so much more. It is is an immersion into the existence of the glory of God that only He has, that only He deserves to be in. This is eternal life. It is relationship with God that Jesus has enjoyed from eternity past. There's no relationship like this. When he is glorified and God is faithful, when Jesus is glorified and God is faithful, there will be this flood of benefit that comes to all who trust in him. It will be poured out to us in our hearts. It is the benefit of the Christian that Jesus is glorified. We we want Jesus to win. We want him to succeed. We want him to get his way. We want Jesus to to not fail. We want him to pray for himself that he would be strengthened in his biggest test of his life. We should be rooting for Jesus and his glory. We should be rooting for him to have the most prominent, supreme place in all of the universe and in our life. We don't want it to be about us. We don't want it to be about our glory. We don't want it to be about us winning We need him to win so that we can live. Jesus is the hero. You see, this is is what this prayer is is illuminating for us that, and all throughout the Gospel of John, that Jesus is the hero. See, he is the one outside of creation by, by which all things have been created. That's what John tells us in the first chapter. The whole world is created by him and for him and through him. And the one who is outside of creation became like his creation to save creation. It's all about him. 
And our lives should be about Him. Our lives should be about His glory. Our lives should be about magnifying His glory, making Him great. Because our hope is solely rests on Him being glorified and solely winning. In these first five verses, Jesus is praying that, that God would be faithful to bring about this, this plan. Just, not just for our, our salvation, but the means of our salvation, which is Jesus' glory. He has perfectly obeyed God. He is going to pay the penalty on the cross, and he prays that he would be restored to this glory, that God would be faithful to complete the work to save us. You know, but this, this prayer for his own glory and that he would be sustained through this trial is not the end of the prayer. If it were, it would make perfect sense. Jesus is coming to the greatest, greatest test of his life, and if he just prayed, get me through this, glorify your name, uh, everything that you have, our plan, let it come to completion just as you had planned it. I mean, if he just ended there and said amen, we'd say, that's a great prayer. But he doesn't stop there. He goes further. He talks about us. He makes, he makes now like that God would fulfill his promises in us. Your life has purpose. Our lives have purpose in Christ. We are created with a purpose. Jesus came to the world for a purpose. Our purpose is to glorify God. We can't glorify him unless we know him, believe him, trust in him. Our supreme purpose, your supreme purpose in all of the world is to know Jesus, to glorify him. And this comes through faith. As Paul says in Philippians, he says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. There's so many great things in the world. There's so many great purposes. There's so many great things to put our effort to and into in this world. And he says, everything comes in a distant second place to my primary purpose of just of knowing Jesus. That is where life is. That is where joy is. That is where satisfaction is found, is in knowing Christ. And so that is my aim. My purpose of my life is to know him because he knows me. He knows me so well. And we cannot know him without faith. Faith is this, this one-time, definitive, isolated event that happened in the past, but it's also a process throughout our entire life. And Jesus prays for both, if you notice that. He prays for both. In verse 11, he says, keep them in the truth. You see, if you trust in the good news of Jesus, if you've put your faith in him, trusted in him, he has given you life in his son. You, he, has, he has transferred you from an identity of, of sinfulness into an identity of life in his name. For all who believe in him will not perish, but have eternal life. It is a single act of saving faith when we trust in him. And we can have confidence knowing that, that because of this, we're justified. We are justified by faith. We are justified by faith in trusting in Jesus. And then our salvation is secure. Our salvation is guaranteed. It will not be taken away. We will not lose it. It doesn't depend on our character. It does not depend on our record. It depends on the character and faithfulness of God. And that's great. That is a great blessing. But here's the thing. We have a life to live too. What do we do about tomorrow? What do we do about the next day? How do we live by faith going forward? And Jesus prays not that we would be kept in his name as we have believed, 
But he also prays that we would be sanctified in the truth. And then he says, your word is truth. You see here in verse 17, he prays that we would have a faith that grows. See, faith in the Bible is something, it's a one-time isolated event that changes us from being spiritually dead to being spiritually alive in Christ. But faith is also something that grows. Faith is something that can shrink. Faith is something that can weaken and get stronger. And Jesus prays that we would grow. We need to continue to be nourished by God's word. We grow in faith. We can't depend on our past experience or our past confession alone for our future growth. It's like eating a 10,000 calorie meal on Monday and saying, I hope this gets me through the week. (laughs) We need to be sustained by food and water for our physical life. And we need to be sustained in faith as we go to God's word and are nourished by it, strengthened in it. Sanctification is a process by which we are transformed more and more into the image of Christ. And the word of God is that tool for that growth. Jesus promises to continue that work in you. You know, Jesus says in John 15, remember, he says, abide in me, abide in me, and you will bear fruit. Stay connected to me. Get your life from me. Stay close to me. Growth cannot happen without abiding in Christ. Philippians 1, 6 says, I, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He who began a work in you, he's talking here about the permanence of faith in this past act of faith and your union with Christ through faith. And then he's talking about this process of growth that comes from it. Do you see that in that one verse? It's two different dynamics of the spiritual life. What comfort does this give you that Jesus prays for your growth? It's something that you feel probably at times ashamed to even ask for yourself. Do you feel selfish at times praying, God, help me to be stronger in my weakness. God, I'm struggling and and I don't know why. God, this is too hard for me to bear and I am weak. It's hard to pray those prayers. But when you feel that it's hard to pray those prayers, know that Jesus is praying that very thing for you. You can ask God to be faithful to the process he began in your life. And you can have assurance in knowing that he will not fail, not just to to be faithful to give you the blessing of salvation, but to complete the work that he began in you when you believed. Jesus will not forsake you. He will not abandon you. Are you waiting for him to give up on you? Are you waiting for him to, to just be like that disgruntled parent or faithless friend or the one that will betray you and say, you know what, I I loved you, but I didn't know that you were going to be like this. (laughs) Are you waiting for God's patience to run out on you? It will not. Jesus prays for you. He, He is our mediator. He is our high priest. He is the one in the greatest hour of his need. 
He is not abandoning you. He's thinking about you and praying for you. If Jesus did not abandon you in his greatest moment of pain and loneliness, he never will. He will complete it. He has not left you alone in this process. Does that bring you comfort? Because life is hard. Growing in faith is, at times, feels impossible. Our feelings get the best of us. They seem so real and at times very inconsistent with God's plan for us. And we feel like giving up, but Jesus never will. Take comfort in knowing that Jesus prays for this very thing, that you will be strengthened until the very end. And his prayers are always answered. His prayers are always answered. He will not forsake you. Even, and here's the hard part, as he sends you into the world, that is never easy. You see this? Jesus specifically prays that you and I, this is, this is my, the worst part of the prayer, to be honest. If there's a worst part, this is it. <laughs> here's what he prays for, that you and I would not be tempted to a life of safety that comes from isolation from the world. Why would you pray that? <laughs> Why would you pray, don't take them out of the world? Because I pray every day that you would take me out of the world. <laughs> Why is he praying for the very thing that I don't want? I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. The, it is so difficult to live in a world that is broken and there are two temptations. There's two ways to avoid that pain when we are in confrontation with difficulty in this world. And that difficulty comes in numerous forms, as you know. There's two ways. The first way is to withdraw ourselves from anything that causes us discouragement and difficulty. Just get away from it. Withdraw yourself from a world that has gone bad. Isolate yourself, protect yourself from that evil. Another way is to engage with it, understand it, ask for God to protect you as you seek to be a witness to it. Jesus prays only for the second one. And that's difficult to understand. Followers of Christ are neither permitted the luxury of compromise with the world, nor the safety of disengagement from it. And we, usually, we want both of those things at times. This is hard, so let me just be comfortable in kind of being a part of it. This is hard, let me withdraw from it. And Jesus prays specifically that we would not fall into the, the temptation of either of those. And his prayers come true. He is sending us into the world, and he says, I will not leave you. I will complete the work I've begun in you. There are true, two truths in here. We're not to compromise with the world. We're also not to disengage with the world. So what does Jesus pray for? That we would not fall into sin, but that we would learn to speak truth into a culture as we engage in it. That we would be protected from temptation 
that would be protected from the, from the plans of a real cosmic spiritual opposition to God, sin and the devil himself, seeks to rip us from the pleasure of God, seeks to rip us from the world, seeks to tempt us to isolate from the world. And Jesus means this, that his followers are not to spend all of our time gathered together in a holy huddle, basking in the glory of God, waiting for him to come back. But that's, but that's what I want. There are times, yes, there are times when God's people gather and we worship and we enjoy the wonderful privilege of Christian fellowship and the, level, the certain level of safety that comes from a like-minded faith. But then that, the, the purpose for that is to remember who God is, to remember where we came from, to remember where we're going, and then to go back into the world where we are to bear witness to the good news of God's glory, that he saves sinners, that he forgives us, that we have a purpose, that Jesus is the hero, that suffering has an end and an expiration date. And we do this, we, we need to be covered in prayer and Jesus knows that. Prayer to stand firm in the faith, prayer to have a posture of compassion, prayer to have a heart of a servant, prayer to be faithful witnesses. In Jesus' greatest hour, he's pouring out his heart to his Father in prayer and he's praying that you and I would participate in that mission and he prays for us. And, in, and in, to be successful in that, we need his prayers, but we need something else as well. And it's often an overlooked necessity. We need one another. We need one another. And that is, that is why he prays for our unity. That is why he prays that our love would be manifest in our hearts and overflow into one another's lives because we need one another to feel strengthened, encouraged, to not give up, to stand firm, to be corrected when we're wrong. It is the very love of God that transforms his people so that we would be united together. Love transforms. In verse 20 to 21, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. He's talking about you that they may all be one, just as you, Father, and I are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you've sent me. What is this unity? Is it a unity of agreement? Not specifically. Is it a unity of personality? Uh, hard, no, not at all. This part of the prayer is so loaded this part of the prayer is loaded, and, and, and it's a little unfair to just be super brief here, but I'm going to be brief about it. The unity for which Jesus prays for all of his followers is meant to be a mirrored unity and love that Jesus shares with his Father. A mirrored unity, a mirrored love that existed between God the Father, God the Son, for all of eternity. It is a mirrored unity that his people are to embrace and to know and then to show to one another. 
And this is pretty astounding. It means that as we gain a deeper sense of God's love for us through Jesus Christ, we will be transformed in the way that we love one another. Consider God's capacity to love you. Consider his capacity to love the unlovely. He knows every part of your soul. He knows it all, the ugliest part, and he loves you. He, dis- he disagrees with you on most things, <laughs> and he loves you. He speaks to you, and as careless children, you do not listen and he loves you. He gives you advice and counsel that will save your life, and you ignore it, and he loves you. Here's the gospel that John has been telling us in this year-long series, and the very purpose for his writing. God does not love us because we are inherently loved. He pours his love on us with the same kind of glorious, eternal, perfect, boundless love that he loves his perfect son with for all eternity. And he gives us that love and pours it into our hearts. And he does it all in spite of our unlovely behavior and characters. And he does it all by grace. And now he says, now may my love for you create this mirrored love for others. So much so that when an onlooking world looks at the way you love each other, they would say, this has to be a supernatural kind of love because no one deserves that kind of love. I've been struck this week about, there's these, a lot of documentaries out, you know, that are causing, catching a lot of traction about exposing wickedness, exposing abuse, exposing spiritual abuse, and uh, what is it, shiny people? Okay, thank you. Thank you, shiny, shiny, shiny people. And more things like that, right? There's, there's lots of, we love to tell stories of hidden sin. Those are captivating stories. It causes us to look at it and say, how ugly, how horrible. And I was caused to think this week, what if someone made a documentary of my hidden life? That'd be absolutely horrible. What if someone made a documentary of your hidden thoughts, of your hidden sins, of your hidden life, of your hidden desires? What if everything that you've ever felt and thought in all of its ugliness came to light for everyone to see? How much shame would you feel? How much pain would you feel? That documentary is still being written and God, he watches it every day. He knows it all. And he's poured out his love for you. It is this kind of love that he says you have in Christ and that kind of love that you are to have with one another. You will not agree with one another. 
but you are to love one another. You will not feel the same way as other people, and yet you are to love those people. You may not vote or work or play as the same as another person, but you are to love one another. And when you love with this atypical kind of love, you will give definitive proof to the world that Jesus was not just a moral person that had a lot of great things to say while he was on earth, but that he is the savior of sinners who indwells his people with great power and presence. You'll give definitive evidence to the world that God saves us by grace alone. That is what Jesus prays for. Does your love for one another give proof to an onlooking world that Jesus reigns in your heart and in your life, that he is alive, that Jesus was not just a man who was a great teacher and example of faith, but that he was the son of God who rose from the grave and lives in your heart. That is the point that Jesus is making about those who are recipients of his love. Loved people love people. We say this all the time, you know, hurt people hurt people. When you see someone do such a despicable act of violence and evil and hatred and anger in the world, we often say how much they must be hurting. Because that's what hurt people do. They hurt other people. But the point Jesus is making, well, loved people love people. And there is no person who has been more loved than a Christian. Because they have come into the cosmic, eternal love of God. And they came into this by grace. A kind of love that's not legalistic or fake or or even void of correction, but a love that gives public confirmation that anyone who sees it would see that Jesus has an incredible capacity to love people who don't deserve it because of how they love one another. So much to unpack in this prayer. But I told you I'd be brief, so I'm going to be. But I hope that these three can resonate. These, these three can resonate with you, that Jesus is the hero it is about him. It's always been about him. It is always about him winning and him accomplishing what he needed to do that we could never do for ourselves. It is all about your life having purpose for which Jesus, Jesus will not abandon you. And it is in realizing that his love will transform you from the inside out. If you ever want to know this love, the love that eternally existed in all its glory before the world was even formed, then go to Jesus. It's the only place to find it. If you want to know this kind of beautiful, peaceful, wonderful, majestic love, we have to go to Jesus. It's the only place to find this. And knowing this, who would want to be anything else in this world but a disciple of Jesus? That's the point John is making. Why would you want to be anything else in this world but a follower of Jesus? Believe in him. Cling to him. Keep your eyes on him. He is praying for you. He will sustain you. He prays for you now. 
and He will not abandon you. Thanks for listening to this audio from Holy Cross Church. Visit us at holycrosstucson.com to find more resources and connect with us.